got your Bibles with you, going to be in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, we're going to look at the first eight verses of Titus chapter 3. Fifth and uh, final Sunday of this month, so the fifth time we'll be looking at the book of Titus for our time of confession. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, please hear this public reading of God's Word. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So I just want us to focus in on one main thing as we come to our time of confession today, and that is Paul's emphasis on good works. I want you to see this real quick, how many times he emphasizes good works in such a short space of time. The end of chapter 2, end of verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, Jesus Christ, verse 14 of chapter 2, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Then chapter 3, end of verse 1, he says, the beginning of verse 1, he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And in the middle of verse 8 of chapter 3, he says, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And in verse 14, he says it again, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So four times he emphasizes good works. So as we come to our time of confession today, my question would be simply this, have we been zealous for good works? Have we been ready for every good work, and have we been devoted to good works? Well, in order to help you maybe answer this question, what are some good works that maybe Paul has in mind? This is not an exhaustive list, but here are some things that may help us think through this. What are some of these good works? Well, number one would be works of obedience are good works. Obeying the Word of God are good works. Number two would be letting our light shine before others. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Number three would be doing all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So works of love to Jesus done out of a desire for His glory these are good works. That means the common actions of everyday life, when they are well done and done for God's glory, these are good works. So changing diapers to disciplining our children to having gospel conversations to just going to work and working heartily unto the Lord, these are good works. When they are well done to the glory of God, they're good works. And finally, I would say doing spiritual good to others would be good works. Encouraging each other in the faith, seeking to point each other to the Word of God, praying with and for each other would be good works. So I want to end with a famous story that I'm sure most of you know this story, but I want to sort of fill in some things before and after it. But a famous story that I'm sure most of you know is Spurgeon's 
conversion story, Charles Spurgeon's conversion story. He was just 15 years old, as you may remember. There was a snowstorm, drove him into that small Methodist church. There were only 10 or 12 people in the whole place. So Spurgeon and maybe 11 other people are there. And the main pastor's not even there. A lay preacher gets up to preach. We don't even know this man's name. Isn't it wonderful? We don't know his name. Unsung hero of church history gets up to preach. But before that event, many people don't know what preceded that. And I know this because I'm reading through this biography. My wife has read this biography twice already in Spanish. Her and her book club, they're going through this book by Arnold Dallimore. And I've just been thoroughly enjoying this biography. Dallimore says this, He says, his conversion was preceded by a long and bitter conviction of sin and a longing for salvation. So for a long period preceding that Sunday morning, he was under conviction of sin. He was under the weight of the law. He was longing to be freed from his sin, but not knowing how to do so. He says this about the law, what hope could I have of eluding such a law as this, which every way surrounded me with an atmosphere from which I could not possibly escape? Long period of conviction of sin, snowstorm, driven into this church, lay preacher gets up, Isaiah 45, 22 is his text in the King James Version, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And he preached for 10 minutes and he's at the end of his tether, Spurgeon said. He's running out of steam at the 10-minute mark of his sermon. And he locks eyes with Charles Spurgeon. And you remember the famous thing that he said, young man, you look very miserable. And Spurgeon with that famous response, well, I did look very miserable, but I had not been accustomed to have remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, he says, it was a good blow, struck right home. The lay preacher continued, and you will always be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. And this man lifts up his hands and he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could do. Young men, look to Jesus. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. And Spurgeon then at once saw the way of salvation, and he said, Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. And here's what Spurgeon says about that Sunday. These are beautiful words. He said, Between half past 10 o'clock when I entered that chapel and half past 12 o'clock when I was back again at home, what a change had taken place in me. Simply by looking to Jesus, I had been delivered from despair, and I was brought into such a joyous state of mind When they saw me at home, they said to me, something wonderful has happened to you. And I was eager to tell them all about it. Oh, there was joy in the household that day when all heard that the eldest son had found the Savior and knew himself to be forgiven. I would have loved to have been there in that household that day. His parents were godly parents, had prayed for Spurgeon for a long time. What joy there must have been in that household And then the biographer said this about Spurgeon. Since his conversion was so unique, he was under the weight of sin. He said, for the rest of his life, he loathed sin and he loved holiness and he longed to tell others of the gospel. And he certainly did for the rest of his ministry. But this is what he also said. His love for Christ was such that although as yet he was only 15, he could not wait to do something for the Lord. He had to find ways to serve the Lord and he must do so right away. You see the connection with our passage. He had been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and he couldn't wait to go out and honor and serve the Lord Jesus. So have we been devoted to good works, zealous for good works, ready for every good work? I'll give you a few moments to pray silently, and I'll close this. Let's go before the Lord.
in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful short little letter of Titus that Paul wrote to Titus, just three chapters but packed with so much wonderful things, wonderful verses here. Father, thank you for for Charles Spurgeon. Thank you for his powerful and moving conversion story. It is just a joy to hear how others came to saving faith, and certainly Charles Spurgeon's is no exception What a joy it is to hear how you saved him so powerfully that snowy Sunday morning. And Father, thank you for his example that he was just eager and ready and wanted to honor you with his life. He was zealous for good works. Father, as we think about our own lives, maybe this last week or this last month, so often I don't think we can truthfully say that we have been zealous for good works. So often we've been lacking in zeal. So often we've been lazy when it comes to good works. So Father, forgive us. Help us to live in light of the gospel and help us to desire to do good works, not as a way to earn uh, salvation, but in response to your grace, in response to our adoption into your family. Help us to eagerly want to go out and honor and glorify you in all things. Father, thank you for the chance we have to sing every Sunday afternoon. What a privilege it is. I pray that we would sing for your glory even now here in just a few minutes. I pray you'd use Mark in a powerful way as we come to just a very familiar and powerful text today. Help us to be attentive to your word today. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.